filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Man, the, this DCU After Dark thing is, is going to kill me if I have another Saturday like this past Saturday. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I, I, uh, I, I fall asleep for all of the non-game times. <laughs> uh, ben just sleeps from Friday night until 10 o'clock Saturday night. I mean... That sounds uh, actually pretty delightful. Yeah, it, it actually does. <laughs> you guys are nuts. This is when games should be all the time. Jason. <laughs> single childless people no stop you're killing us we're dying um no this saturday though was especially bad i got going got out of bed and and rolling early even for me even for a parent of two small kids who love to wake up very early Uh, I got going before they did even so I could walk the dogs and get out the door with the car to take it to DC's inspection station. I had to get the emissions inspected. Yeah, there's only one and it's fine. It's actually a pretty convenient location. Not that far from Buzzard Point. But uh, unbeknownst to me, they had buried in a web page somewhere on the DMV website um, the fact that they were closed the Saturday before Memorial Day because Monday is Memorial Day. And they posted a sign on the gate for people to stand in line in their cars to roll up to and see and then disperse very slowly. And then just to make sure you got the got it, they they had a guy there passive aggressively telling you they were closed. And what were you doing here? I'm like, I'm doing the same thing as the 50 cars behind me. What are you doing here? Not inspecting my car. And then I got a flat tire on the way home just to really rub it in and spent, you know, several hours at the dealership because it took them three hours to to change my tires like i i you know put on the the donut got my spare tire on just fine and then i get there i'm like i just need new tires and i want to go and it took them entirely too long saturday was was not great as a counterpoint to jason's uh advocacy for dcu dcu after dark all the time how what, what would you as a parent of young children uh say to dcu at 10 a.m. every time. I I like variety. I'm not going to say anything every time. And a noon? At least a couple of times? Eh? Eh? Anyway, the rest of the weekend was Eh? better. You know, the downfall of doing it in the morning would just, like, a 10 a.m. game during the summertime would be even Mm -hmm. more humid than all the other times. Oh, Um, I, I thought we were just talking about for our own personal selfish reasons. Okay, but I mean, you're going to go to a game at some point, right? Yeah, and a 10 a.m. game sounds out. great. It'll be like someone dumped a bucket of sweat on you over and over again for 90 minutes. I mean, if so we're going to have it early 3 in... 3 p.m. If we're going to have it in the morning, have it in the morning. Like, 9 a.m. So Get out there and tailgate. That, 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 that's only one hour. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm, not saying, I'm saying 
there's a big difference between 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. as far as air temperatures. Have it at 830. Have it at 8. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, if we're going I, to have it in the morning, I'm six, not saying we should. I think I in the summertime, six, nighttime is good. But you wake up at 6, you lucky bastard. That is as late as I get to sleep. Uh, and Hey, hey, welcome in. This is <laughs> Filibuster, the Black and Red United, complaining about Saturdays and late nights and also mornings. Just complaining. Old man podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United. And that's what we're talking about tonight. Uh, the Black and Red got a road draw at LAFC this weekend. We're going to break that down. And we are going to answer your questions in the second segment in our uh I, I don't want to call it famous, you know, hero is a strong word. We're going to break open the Twitter box and uh, see what you guys have to say and answer your questions before we do anything though. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm uh, keeping it easy and lazy. Uh, so I have Patron Añejo uh, and that's, that's it. Uh, I got my beer fix in between last, the last show and this show. Um, between a trip to a Gordon Biersch and then a uh, what holiday was it Memorial Day um, thing yesterday in which my friend was like, please don't bring beers. Please drink the beers I have. My wife is pregnant, so we only have one uh, able drinker in the house. So I need help uh, to clear this fridge space. So I said, OK, I can be your household <laughs> hero for this weekend uh, and help them drink some of those beers. He's drinking for two. He's just not trying. He's not pulling his weight. Well, yeah, he had he had his own thing going on with antibiotics, so he had to ease oh, wow. off as well. Yeah. All so, right. I apologize uh, for throwing shade. I had to I had to come over there and uh, you know help give give them the help uh, that they needed. Ben, what are you drinking? So I took uh, the start of summertime drinking to heart in a different way than uh, Jason's gin proclamation. Um, I went at, on the suggestion of my wife. I went with a uh, a different kind of summer drink. I'm drinking a uh, uh, vodka and Arnold Palmer. So okay, vodka, that's a good one. Half sweet tea, half lemonade. Nice, uh, a a full Arnold Palmer. <laughs> well, I feel like an an Arnold Palmer right now in popular media is the version Arnold Palmer. So it is yes. a alcoholic Arnold Palmer. There you go. I, I am drinking a gin, Ricky. I, I just, I, we had limes, we had gin, we had seltzer. I said, yes, I took the signs and I followed them where they took me. Uh, I'm not going to lie though. I'm going to be totally transparent. Uh, this is my second Ricky of the night. The first was with blue coat gin, really good American um, kind of, it's- uh, but, that's what I had uh, with my when I was doing my gin proclamation. That was exactly what I was drinking. <laughs> it's a good gin, and it's yeah. it's a little bit more aggressive than the traditional dry gins. I, I have run out kind of almost simultaneously of my green hat, my blue coat, uh, and my Catoctin Creek gins, which are my my good American, relatively local, um, kind of more of herbal, a little bit more. Um, botanical forward gins and the second one i'm I'm having now is just tanqueray just a dry gin with it and it's lacking something i i've gotten used to those kind of punchier 
gins that we make on this side of the pond and uh, I'm out of them and I need to get some more pronto. Um, and I'm also open to suggestions. So if you're listening to this and you have a suggestion for an American kind of forward leaning gin, send them, send them to the podcast, send them to my Twitter, uh, grab me on the street and tell me, try this gin. Uh, I will listen. Adam, would you say Catoctin Creek is from Virginia? You can't see the face I'm making right now. It is a mix of approval and deep, deep not. I, I love it. I know you do. But <laughs> I can't change that. Let's talk about soccer. DC United is back from their left coast swing. Um, They brought home four points from San Jose and L.A. after a one-to-one draw at Bank of California Stadium Saturday night against Los Angeles Football Club, the fighting Bob Bob Bradleys, the many, many owners, the whatever you want to call it. Wings, I think, was one. BGs is a nickname I've heard. Hashtag Uh, Black Thunder. Alicia's Alicia's daughter has, uh, yeah, is saying Black Thunder, and I think we should respect that. Yeah, I think we got to go with that. Black Thunder is their nickname. Uh, out there and it's it's a good one alicia's daughter is good at nicknames she should give ben a nickname i've never had a nickname ever all right (laughs) this is gonna happen now um whoever's running the twitter tonight please make that happen and hopefully we'll have a resolution before to to get alicia i'm only gonna accept a nickname from alicia's daughter yes obviously but it needs to happen before the end of the show and we need to follow (laughs) up on this uh before we're done recording uh, Diego Rossi opened the scoring, taking advantage of a uh, missed clearance to put the hosts up in the first half. United uh, went up a man late in the first half after uh, double agent, former black and red center back, Dan Yakovich, went in studs up on Paul Ariola, got himself sent off. It took United most of the second half to make it pay, though. Uh, Darren Maddox turning in uh, the equalizer late in the game, 85th minute, I think. Um, all in all, a good result. Uh, LAFC have come on very strong this year in their expansion season and uh, getting a result where in their home stadium where they are unbeaten now in five games. Two wins, three draws, I think it is. It, you can't really complain about that, except that United could have gotten more. LAFC also could have gotten more. This is the classic draw where everyone has reason to feel both satisfied that they didn't lose and really unsatisfied that they didn't win. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was a kind of a wild game. Uh, it was a, it was a weird one to try and follow. Um, you know, it's, it's strange to come away from a game in which, you know, DC maybe could have been out of the running. Uh, if it, if it's two nothing before the red card, they're probably not going to make the comeback. Um, and yet, the, you know, the, by the same token, it took them a while to sort of uh, box LA in. And you know, it, it, the early part of that second half was not really very good um, for DC. It took them a while to get going. They were still giving up chances on the counter, um, but they eventually started to turn the screws and started to really make it so that LAFC was doing all of the defense or almost all of the defending. And, uh, you know, they eventually got their goal. It was, it was a nice goal. Um, and then almost won it with the, um, the header off the post, uh, in the what 93rd minute, 
Um, but, you know, in between the goal and that, there was also um, out west ahead that shot that almost went in. Um, so it, it was kind of a ridiculous sort of a game. I mean, for neutrals, I'm sure it was really fun. Um, for me trying to write the recap, it was a little more uh, stressful uh, because so much stuff happened right at the end. But, uh, you know, as far as an entertainment, uh, it was it was pretty fun. It, it could have been better from DC's side, but um, it, it was a little more of a stylistically pleasing game. I mean, people have been yelling for years for DC to play a different style of soccer. And I think this was a solid argument that they are trying to do so. And they're starting to get a little better at, they're not just trying, they're actually sort of starting to execute. So um, from that side of things, it's, it's not a bad, not a bad game. Uh, One of the the key things from this game uh, has to be Paul Areola in central midfield. He was huge in the win at San Jose and was really good again on Saturday. Um, Ben, at this point, Paul Ariel is just a central midfielder to start games anyway, right? I mean, for this DC United team at this point in time, yes, he is. Um, I don't think Ulysses Segura has, even when he becomes healthy again, I don't think he has uh, any claim, at least as far as uh, as games have gone, to uh, supplant Ariola. Uh, and the only other options on this team are... Uh, Russell Knaus, who, again, has to prove he can come back from being hurt. And Knaus also has a better position on the field that we'll maybe get to uh, later on in this podcast. And uh, Ian Harks hasn't shown any ability so far to beat out a number of central midfielders. So this team has played its best soccer of the season so far with Paul Ariola in central midfield. Uh, he's the reason why... Uh, Dan Yakovic, why Decky got sent off, and it, it's just the best way to go right now. And yeah, there's there's nothing else to be said about it. It's just the best choice right now for the foreseeable future. Yeah, uh, he. For those who who haven't been paying obsessive attention, uh, when when Paul Ariel got the red card and was was suspended for a game, he spent the next really two weeks on the scout team, essentially um, playing as the other team's central midfielder and then went to Ben Olsen and said, if you put me in at that position, I will get more of the ball than I have on the wing. And I promise you, I will be the best player on the field. Okay. Can can we address something with that? Because uh, there's been a, I've seen this take a few times now where, People are like, how did Ben Olsen not figure this out for himself? And how did he have to have his own players telling him what to do? Um, if the coaching staff didn't have an inkling that Ariola could play central midfield on some level, they would not have played him as a uh, scout team. Alejandro exactly. Pedroia. Um, the fact that Ariola went to him and said, like, I think this is really good. Um, isn't the whole story. Um, and I, I feel like um, we need to get maybe a better picture of that whole thing than just assuming that, um, you know, a player had to go tell the coach, Hey, this is what you should do with me. Um, right. That it's, has hey, happened if you before, actually want to do this, I'm on board. Yeah, not this time. I don't think it, that was the full case. I think it was sort of a, um, both sides were interested and, uh, Ariola felt better about it as time went on and was like, Hey, I think this could work. Um, I also but, think it's to Ben Olsen's credit that he's got a team culture where, 
a player can feels free to speak up and say, I think this would be a good thing. I think I could help the team in this way and not just whatever the manager says. And I'm not going to take any initiative or I'm just going to go where I'm told. And because I know I'm not going to be listened to. And then Ben Olsen also, you know, he made some other changes to make it work. And Paul Ariola has stepped up. He had to step Mm -hmm. up to make this work. He had to improve his own play and he has, and I still have concerns about him in central midfield. Uh, His first touch is not that of a central midfielder right now. And but he, he's he got so many other gifts and his work rate is such and his mentality is such that it's worth it to to have him in there. And he has been fantastic in that spot. Um, and I think it's worth noting that the goal in this one, uh, which Ariola assisted on, came after he was shifted out to a very attacking right fullback position um, after Bruno Miranda came in and he he was way up the field obviously he was in the 6 yard box essentially to to head the ball to Maddox for the goal but his experience on the wing has is also an advantage because it lets Ben Olsen change things up without taking him off the field he can put in another central midfielder and put Ariola either at fullback to be super attacking or put him at, out at wing or, or take him off and do something completely different. So it's, it's also added some late game versatility having yeah. him in that position. And that's really good. I think it's a good situational uh, option for Ben Olsen to have. I would never uh, call for Paul Ariola to be a full-time fullback, but I think switching it up late in the game based on, the situation and based on the options Ben Olsen has on the field, it can be uh, a very good option. And obviously it paid off in this situation. Uh, somehow Paul Ariola, one of the shortest men on the field was able to time his jump perfectly and rise up against people who are far, far taller than him and had the ball back across and, and it worked out great. And so, yeah, it gives his versatility just gives Ben Olsen more options and i think the one thing i would add is that you know this was a game where dc was trying to by the end of the game they was trying to throw the kitchen sink at lafc um it was really about you know the they had been patient um and they were slowly starting to make it happen but they weren't really piling up too many great scoring chances so it became more about um we're gonna have to get wide we're gonna have to pump some crosses in our fullbacks are gonna have to jump into the box um it's worth uh noting that the late um, miss from Maddox where the ball ends up kind of behind him and he took a swing and missed it. Um, the player that's attacking that ball before it falls to Maddox is uh, Joseph Mora. So both fullbacks were told, yeah, get forward. It was like watching the crew a little bit, um, in all honesty. Um, and if you're trying to play that level of, um, you know, with that kind of attacking mindset, first of all, we haven't seen that too often from a Ben Olsen DC team, even when they're trailing. Um, and it was effective, um, moving him out wide, mo- moving Ariola right back and adding Bruno Miranda in, a, uh, again, in a central role, um, rather than wide. Um, I, th- I, it was an effective way to make that happen. It added, uh, more mobility. Um, they didn't lose any speed in central midfield by bringing Miranda in and moving Ariola out. Um, and they just ended up pinning LAFC so far back that eventually, you know, 
balls bounce around, things happen. And, and, you know, not to take away from the goal, but it could have been a trash goal too. Um, they created the circumstances in which goals are born rather than hoping for somebody to pull a rabbit out of their hat. And I think it's um, going forward, if they're going to be losing or if they're at home and it's tied and, you know, with their place in the standings, when the home schedule comes up and they've got so many home games in a row, ties are kind of losses um, down the, you know, in August, uh, if, if DC's it's 75th minute and they're looking at a tie at home, that game is basically a loss as far as uh, pursuing a move up the standings goes. So um, I think it's good for them to start to develop the strategies for those timeframes because they are going to need to go for it and they're going to need to kick the door in and get a goal somehow to win some games uh, late because uh, it's, it's going to get tricky down the stretch. They've got all those games. They're going to have tired legs. They're going to have rotation. Um, it's not going to be the smoothest thing in the world to just uh, start winning games because they're at home. It's going to come, it's going to take um, some clever coaching as well. And I think what we saw in this game was an example of how to move the pieces around on this team and still keep really good players in the game and change your look, um, take risks, and possibly get yourself a result that you didn't have. Uh, obviously, the red card helped in, in that respect. And Paul Ariola, as Ben said, was a, a big part of that red card. His speed essentially forced uh, Yakovic to, to miss the tackle. Yep. Uh, Yakovic, I think, really thought he was going to get the ball and yes. did not, and, and therefore did not think about where his foot was angled. And Ariola beat him. And beating Dan Yakovic to the spot is not an easy thing. I don't know how many people remember when he was with DC United, but he was low-key the fastest guy on the field every single game. Um, in a straight line over distance, anyway. He wasn't always laterally the quickest, but in a straight line sprinting, he could catch anyone and take the ball off of them when he was at his best. And so to for... Ariola to to beat him to the spot the way he did, um, especially since the ball was kind of moving more toward Yakovic. Um, really impressive from Ariola. And and Jason, you pointed out before the show that um, if not for that tackle, DC United has a a crazy good break on goal. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and you know this red card, I think we can say is the is partially the, the, to the credit of DC because they put LAFC in a really bad situation where uh, they had forced a turnover while LAFC had numbers pushing way high. Um, and Yakovic goes to that tackle because he saw that they were looking at an uh, odd, they were going to be short numbers defending. DC had four players rushing forward. Uh, LAFC was flat-footed and only had three, and Yakovic is one of those three, and he's diving in for the ball. So, um He's in a situation where he felt it it was worth the risk of an all or nothing tackle uh, at midfield to prevent a, a pretty promising uh, counterattack from DC. So um, this wasn't you know this wasn't like watching Zlatan slap Michael Petrasso in the ear or some other dumb red card that you can avoid. This was uh, Yalkovic making a calculated risk and saying like I need to go in hard to win this ball or we're in deep trouble. Um, and so he lunged in and he was convinced he won the ball, even though it was, you know, we all saw the replays. He, he didn't, it was a red card tackle. Um, and, uh, you, you know, that's a positive for DC. I think they, they, the amount of speed that they had on the field at the time and that they can muster on a week to week basis, they should be putting teams in situations like this on a more regular basis. I'd like to see 
Um, I'd like to see this team be able to draw yellow cards and red cards more often, not out of petulance, but or even clumsiness, but out of players saying like, if I don't take a card here, we're screwed. Like I have to go to the ground and I have to go in for this tackle where if I make get anything wrong, uh, I'm going to be in trouble. And, you know, you don't really want to be in a situation where you have to get everything perfectly correct to get out of it um, as a player, because the soccer is full of times where you got things like 90% right, not 100% right. Um, And Yakovic went in for this tackle knowing that if it wasn't 100%, he was screwed and he ended up screwed. Um, And that's good. That's, that's an indicator that DC is starting to, you know, not per, it's not perfect progress. It's not linear progress where week to week we can say, okay, three weeks from now they'll be excellent at playing like this and they won't, it won't be in spurts. It'll be full time. Um, but, you know, you want to see the spurts uh, at some point and you're starting to see it now where they're able to put teams on their heels and punish them um, when they turn the ball over and not just turning it over in, you know, deep in their end, but anywhere. Um, because this was a turnover in DC's half and they were still immediately putting LAFC in such a, a desperate situation that this is the tackle that comes in. It was a draw. LAFC scored. Um, and the common thread in in actually both goals, uh, Jason, you mentioned he he sent the cross in that Areola put back across for, for Maddox. And he also had a really nice assist <laughs> on Diego Rossi's goal. Uh, that's Joseph Mora, uh, left back. I, I don't want to call him a ne'er-do-well, but his, his name has come up a lot in recent weeks for not the right reasons. Uh, so let's talk about that cross that, that he made. It was a really good cross, much better than anything O'Neill Fisher hit on the night. Uh, not to name names, but on the Rossi goal, uh, it, it, was, it wasn't just his failure. Uh, the, the team had allowed LAFC to come right up the gut and he just hit a really unconvincing clearance, really just a toe poke uh, right to Rossi. Who He actually had two chances to clear the ball. Yeah. Um, which is what really makes it bad. Well, it's not just this. It's not his overall uh, problem in general, but a better fullback takes care of that. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm... I'm assigning more blame to him than you are at the get-go, at least. I, I think that fullback is the position of need uh, after the Rooney position. I mean, the striker position um, that's coming up in this uh, upcoming uh, transfer window. After that, fullback is the position of need, and they have to address it because even though they signed Fisher and Joseph Mora, it's it, it's still just not good enough. Especially with Nick DeLeon hurt now. I know a lot of people are going we to be surprised that Yeah, we don't know how hurt, but he he came out of this one, uh, which is why Mora was was in the game at all. Mm-hmm. Um it's a it's really weird. DC United had three subs to use in this game and used them on the the left fullback, the right fullback, and the defensive midfielder. Which is yeah. not a like that's that's like a Yahtzee level dice roll. Um, yeah. It's not a combination you see that often. Yeah, um, and you know the the Deleon's injury um, with him, you know, it's it's something to do with his knee. It looked like from his, his gesturing uh, when he was coming off, but um, that one is the most straightforward. Uh, and then after that, you have to get into um, 
why was Durkin removed? And it's mostly because this was maybe an indicator of something that he's going to have to get better at, which is when uh, teams can make him defend on the turn and they're having, they're really challenging him uh, at a high level mentally and he's having to make mm-hmm. tough decisions. You know, this is a game where he it was getting away from him a little bit. He had committed three fouls. Um, he had gotten uh, the no more talking to, and then he committed another foul and got the yellow card. Um, and he was still having to turn and chase against LAFC a lot because they were, to their credit, they were really good at playing quick combinations to to free uh, Vela and Rossi uh, running in behind. Um, and they were really testing his ability to do a good job of that uh, or defensively to, to deal with that situation. And I think um, as much as it might be a little bit of a weird one, I think Olsen made the right call because I feel like we were one foul away from Durkin getting a red. Yeah, um, especially he was real close to a second yellow. Yeah, you know, we're the it's DC's the road team. The other team has had a red card already. Um, we saw in general, and we'll get more into officiating soon, but we saw in general that the officiating was uh strange um for much of the second half. So um, you know, Durkin was already pretty close to getting his marching orders as it was. So um, you know, you're not coming back in that game, I, I don't think. You're not coming back if um if you don't, or if you go down to ten, if it's ten on ten, that's not going to work. Um, at that stage of the game, DC was barely leveraging their man advantage as it was. So um, I thought Moreno came in. I actually I thought he did pretty well. I mean, he plays the position more quietly than Durkin. Um, he definitely doesn't wow you with his long range distribution like Durkin can. Um, but I think United needed somebody who was just going to screen the center backs, get in the way of Rossi and Vela and prevent those um, breakouts from happening. He was seeing them a little earlier. And I think he also was benefiting from the fact that um, on the bench, you can actually study the patterns of mm-hmm. play a little a little more. It's, it's a little easier when you're sitting there and you don't have everything else going on around you. Um, and you can come in prepared for where it's going wrong. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think as much as it's been a choppy debut season for Moreno, I think the last two times we've seen him, he's done pretty well. It's just that, you know, the, the last time we saw him, he was only fit enough to play 45 minutes and then got injured soon thereafter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in this game, he's coming in off the bench. But, uh, I, I but he think... also didn't, I, I believe, did not put a single pass wrong even. They weren't, they weren't the Chris Durkin passes that we get excited about, the 60-yard the diagonals to reverse the, the, the field. But he was, what, 26 for 26 in this one, something uh, like that? I'm not going to... Um... I, I don't have the numbers. I'm not going to count the the squares, but I can tell you if you bring up the uh, the MLS box score and you go to their little chalkboard section, there are no, nothing comes up when you click unsuccessful passes. There are no red squares. Um, so yeah, uh, he didn't open up the field very much, but he also kept the ball moving. And he, and you'll also, if you open that, you might actually, I kind of recommend people do, you'll see where he was on the field. And most, for a defensive midfielder, most of the time your passes are in the middle and on in your half. Uh, but in this game, he very quietly helped the team come up field. And most of his passes are actually in LAFC's half and actually more towards the the, the front end of the center circle. So it's not like he's half a yard in their end. Um, he really set up as a pivot um, right at the, you know, just outside the attacking third almost. Um, 
And that really helped DC just have that reference point to keep checking the ball back to him and he would move it along quickly. Um, I think he, he helped impact the tempo and, and where this game was being played in a way that, you know, it's not eye catching, but uh, it was important. Uh, I think he did a good job in, you know, dealing with a situation that was as, you know, as we saw for Durkin, it was a tricky game to, to manage as a defensive midfielder. I thought he, he should be pretty pleased with himself. Yeah, and I don't want to, I I don't think this is us piling on Durkin at all. He's he's going to be just fine. He yeah. is a teenager and this is the first game in a while that he actually looked like a teenager and it's one of it, it was against one of the smarter teams in MLS. Um yeah. one of the team like Carlos Vela thinks the game at a very high level. Diego Rossi, Benny Failhaber, Laurent Simon. These guys are are some of the best in MLS at the way they they see the game and read the game and and play the game with their minds. And for a 19-year-old to come in and struggle is not that surprising, especially when he's playing a really high leverage lone number 6 role. And and so f- for Durkin to to kind of be a little bit behind in this, I'm not worried about it at all. Not even a little bit. Um, I'm happier. I'm, I'm treating this as a positive because Junior Moreno came in and whether it was because he was able to study the game from the bench, whether it was because he's just a little bit older and a little more experienced, what whatever the reason, he came in and was good. And that's what I want from him is when he comes in the game, I want him to be good. And he was in this game. Uh, someone who wasn't good in this game, uh, Ismail Alfath. What was he doing? Uh, (laughs) so, uh, the, the controversial calls in this one, he was good on the red card. He was direct and decisive on, on Decky's red card. Right twice a day. Yeah. I, I mean, he, he did well. He wasn't his usual, uh, demonstrative, self when he was making the calls so often with with Elfath you see if he if he feels like he's not in control he's going to get more demonstrative and just try to with the forcefulness of his gestures make you comply with him he wasn't doing that in this game he was a little bit more relaxed he was actually laughing uh when players were complaining I I don't know if he you know went to a dispensary in LA before the game and was just feeling good. Uh, he, I don't think he did that. Obviously I'm joking. Uh, but he, he was meant like his, his mood seemed to be pretty good in this game, but, uh, some of his decisions, I, I don't understand, especially on VAR. The red card was great, but then, uh, Lawrence Simon goes down, uh, on a super slow motion replay. It looked like he, he, he did get clipped by by Darren Maddox, but not in a way that would make him fall. In fact, he took two steps afterward and then fell in his own box and grabbed the ball. And this was adjudged on VAR to be a foul on Maddox for some reason. <laughs> if, he, if he if if he was going to call a foul on Maddox, they should have also he should have also called a foul for Maddox's shirt getting pulled right before that. It was the same level of foul aka nothing but it was the same level of foul and the fact that simon just then hugged the ball on the ground is just ridiculous 
But yeah. I think Simon's whole thing was that he wanted to show the referee how obvious it was that he was fouled and grabbed the ball. Um, the only problem is you have to get fouled first. Um, yeah. To, to guilt uh, referees into making the call you want, you have to be fouled first. And instead, he just fell down and grabbed the ball in the box. It was, uh, I think what Elfath probably wanted at the end was he probably wished he had just called nothing. And the only way to get around that, to call nothing, was to call a foul on Maddox. I mean, he originally did call nothing. He didn't call a penalty. He called a corner kick on that originally. I I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just trying to explain it away, but I don't know. Yeah, I think I I, I said this in, in our group chat. During the game, he he went out of his way to be lenient with Simon uh, a few times, and I I don't know. It's he seemed a little bit in awe of of Simon. And, it, and if there was no, if there was no call that he would have had to call handball on Simon, so he had to call something for it not to be. Well, no, because the ball Simon. the ball and Simon all drifted over the at the end line, so he had yeah. his uh, bailout, and he could just say it was a uh, well, it went out, so it was a corner. He fell. It wasn't. He could have said it, he fell. It wasn't an intentional handball. It, that that could have been his explanation. It was obvious. It would obviously be wrong because Simon grabbed the ball with both hands. He was um, still in. When he grabbed it, and he was still in. But then the ball yeah. later went out. Uh, there was contact. I, I I'm willing called. to admit that there was contact oh. between Maddox and Simon. But Simon, he he dove too. Was all, he, the contact didn't bring grabbed. him down. Maddox yes. was also grabbed beforehand. Yeah, uh, another VAR instance in this game came when uh, Zoltan Stieber was called for handling the ball in the box with his arm just plumb against his chest uh, as tight as you can possibly get it to yourself and the ball uh, bounced up off him. I don't know how uh, Elfath saw that it hit his arm the first time because it was on the opposite side of Stevie's body from where Elfath was, but he believed the the LAFC players protest awarded the penalty. VAR said, "I'm not so sure." And Elfath went and looked at the replay, said, "Nope, no penalty. Uh, drop ball. Let's play." Um, it was really uh, it, these happened in relatively rapid succession, just a few minutes yeah. apart, and it was a very surreal few minutes to to watch. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny because we also, after that, had the later, um, more desperate DC penalty kick claim for a, a ball off of Jordan Harvey's hand, which uh, um, I actually had to, to laugh at when it happened because they're definitely at that point like, let's see what happens. Like, it, clearly the referee's just kind of all over the place. Maybe we can pressure him into making a mistake because um, – if Stevers gets waved off as not a penalty, then Harvey's was also going to get waved off as not a penalty. And in this case, he didn't even go to VAR. He just, he said, no, no penalty, but it was still kind of, um, it's kind of the thing that happens when a game is being poorly refereed is that players on both sides who are, you know, especially in a game that's close, you're desperate to find something to give you that advantage. You say, you know, let's pressure the referee and see what happens. Um, and to go back to Adam's point about Simon uh, sort of overawing um, Elfath and, and uh, making an impression that way, um, that's a part of the game. Um, and if you as a team can sort of uh, harass the referee into giving you uh, a penalty kick or something, then it, you know people might not enjoy watching it. It might not feel too good about it afterwards, but... Uh, um, in the moment, I think the players on the field were definitely okay with it uh, because 
LA was getting that sort of benefit with uh, Simon, um, who also, uh, after getting called or after getting away with his penalty, then was trying to ramp up the supporters as if he had done something awesome, um, which was kind of ludicrous. Um, but yeah, it's just the kind of thing that happens in a game that gets, you know, the, the, the temperature's a little too high, the referee is in over his head, um, and uh, you get this sort of bizarre, uh, wild 45 minutes because that, that game really, instead of feeling like, uh, you know, the game was over and it was like, okay, it's, it's past midnight. It's time to unwind and finish up what I'm doing and go to bed. But instead it's like, I got to, you know, I'm not sleeping anytime soon. This is ridiculous. Yeah. It was definitely a game that had the adrenaline going afterward when it was over. It was, it, it was a game that was not over when the final whistle Right. Blue. It, it felt like there was another half hour to be played. Um, and, and not just because it was tied. The, the Caps game one, which did not end in a tie, uh, felt the same way because it was just there was so much happening in it. Um, but there's no more happening in this segment. That's it for for our discussion of this game. Uh, do we have a nickname for Ben yet? Did did Alicia get not, back to us? Not yet. yet. All right. I assume that we can't just assume that a random question like this is going to be uh, answered within the time frame that we have set up within the recording of this podcast, but have not expressed to the outside world. No, but we can hope. And we, we uh, can hope. Hope we will. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster. Now is the... the- DC United on a a bye week. This is the part of the show where we turn to Twitter and your questions. We have we have a lot of questions to get through. We'll see how many we can do uh, tonight. The first one comes from Chris Gibson, who is at Chris Gibson VA on Twitter. He asks us at filibuster DCU. Assuming everyone is healthy, what do you think is the best possible starting lineup and bench given our current roster? Um, it, It. the answer is pretty close to what we saw in these two games, I think, uh, uh, but not quite because Russell Knauss is going to have to be on there. But that might be the only 
change I would make. What do you guys think? I mean, I would throw in, I mean, at this point, we've got to assume Rooney or a striker is coming, and it's almost definitely going to be Rooney. So I would throw Rooney in there over Maddox or Mullins uh, to lead the line. But other than that, um, there's enough confusion at central defensive midfielder that I think you... At this point, it's Moreno, but it, in once uh, Russell Knauss is healthy, I think that it's likely to be Russell Knauss. But I think at this point, uh, Rooney is closer to being on the field than Knauss is. So. Well, I'm not convinced that Moreno is necessarily a better starter than Durkin at, at this point. I think in some matchups, he might be. Um, but I... I given what Durkin brings to the table offensively and, and un, he's underrated defensively. He's got a lot of interceptions, especially, um, no, and doesn't turn the ball over in our own. No, he wasn't. He was chasing the game, but that was a particular challenge that I think he will do better with the next time because that's been his pattern. When he has struggled with something, he has fixed it relatively quickly, which is a really impressive trait, especially for a teenager. Because when I was a teenager and I had a problem, I did not fix it. Well, yeah, but and... the, the question was, who's my starting right now? Right. And right now I'm starting Durkin. Okay. I'm starting Morena. I love Durkin. I love starting homegrown players, but to win well, games right but, now, I'm starting Morena. The question is, assuming everyone's healthy, so we have to assume Russell Knauss is healthy. True. Oh, that's and then true. I'm there is that. Yeah. Then um, then Knauss is getting the nod there. Especially, yeah. I think it would have been a little different. I think before Areola's move into the middle, um, Knauss, I think you could have made an argument, would start at the number eight when everyone was healthy, and it would be between Moreno and Durkin at the, the number six. But now we, that Areola has never, moved inside. Uh, we have no actual experience of how Olsen views Moreno and Durkin as potential partners to Knauss either, because he has been injured since before we had any games to watch. Um, So we we don't actually, it's all theoretical um, as far as what Olsen would view as um, whether he'd be willing to play two out and out holding midfielders or whether I think he wants to play um, with only one deep. And then the question becomes, you know, uh, is that Canals or is it is Durkin slash Moreno better than Ariola as the eight? Because then that's the decision you have to make. Um, if if Canals is starting, I think it's fair. I think we're I think we're all pretty close to an agreement that if Canals is at his best, then he's on the field in some capacity in this team. Yeah. Um, so I think at this point, the most likely lineup as far as central midfield would go would be Canals. Uh, deep, and then Ariola and Acosta um, ahead of him. Um, but you would also be seeing Durkin pretty regularly, I think, coming in off the bench, whether it is to add uh, some defensive uh, quality and add just a player who's going to be a little more conservative positionally, but also to open the game up with his passing, because I really do think that of the potential defensive midfielders, and even you can throw in the number eights, um, I think his range of passing, his ability to open the game up with those 50, 60 yard balls is the best on the team. Um, I think the main questions really, um, you know, I, I think, you know, you guys mentioned that the lineup we just saw was pretty close to it. And I think that's probably mostly true. Um, the only issue really is the fullbacks. Um, we know Nick DeLeon is 
the best available fullback on the roster right now. And then after that, it's an open question because, uh, <laughs> you know, Mora and Fisher can't seem to get out of their own way. I think Fisher just played a little bit better of a game than Mora did against LAFC. Um, but before that, uh, you know, we've seen mistakes from both in recent games that were are pretty egregious. So um, the question at left back is really, I don't know. Um, and, uh, you know, it could be week to week where those guys are battling for that job all season. Um, or it could be something where maybe Taylor Kemp comes back and is in um, rare form and all of a sudden can, you know, take over the job again, though that appears to be the longest shot right now because he's been away for so long that you you can't really expect him to just be great immediately. Um, I, go ahead, Ben. I, I'll preface this by saying I don't expect Ben Olsen to, to do this at all, but I would be okay with experimenting with a like lopsided back four where Nick DeLeon as left back is the only attacking fullback, and then you put in at right back a Jalen Robinson or a Kofi Apare and do a like lopsided three uh, center backs on the back line just because the way this team is constructed I feel like those two are better defenders than any of the fullbacks, the proper fullbacks that are on the team I, I think you lose too much um, in having it be asymmetrical it really makes you very predictable at that point um, and I don't think I don't. I don't know that Delion adds enough going forward to take in that predictability that comes with it. Um, you know, it's it's definitely if if they found the right other fullback, it would be something I'd be in, a little more interested in. If they found someone that could be like Harrison Awful in terms of his ability right. to create going forward, then it becomes a little more like, well, you know, it's even though teams know it's coming, it becomes worth it. Um, but with the team as constructed, uh, I don't I don't know that that's what I would do. But also, I think we're all talking about a team that isn't going to be as constructed for that much longer. Yeah, that's a big caveat. Uh, the next two questions are are kind of related. They come from Daniel Langston at VTD Lang on Twitter and Murr, who's at Murr DCU, longtime listener. Murr um, asks, with rumors of DC United looking at adding international talent to bolster the roster this summer. How do they acquire international roster slots and or who leaves? Daniel Langston asks us, given Durkin's emergence as a starting caliber defensive midfielder, does one of Canaus Moreno or Segura get moved before season's end? I think these two questions, the answers anyway, are going to overlap a lot because I, I, I as important as Segura and Moreno were to the beginning of the year, Segura especially I think could be a candidate to be moved to free up an international roster slot as they become so. more precious as the year moves on. I don't think so because uh, other than Bruno Miranda, if you're starting Ariola in the middle, Segura is the only other sub along that line, I guess. Ian Harks. I mean, not, not on the way. Russell Canals can play that position as wing. well. I mean, I, your only other options are putting Darren Maddox out wide if you uh, bring or, in another forward. Mullins has played wide before. No, as, no, as no. Well. Uh-uh. 
No. no, you put Mullins out on the left. He's he's serviceable out there. I don't see Segura as an attacking wide. I don't see Segura as an attacking wide midfielder in this league either. He wasn't. He he didn't. I didn't see a lot from him in his one uh, appearance out wide. Um, so right, I, I, I'm not. I'm not putting Mullins out there. Not not in any way. As a sub, as a desperation thing, I think I, I would I'm not keeping Segura around. around as a desperation option only, especially at the wide midfield spot. No, I I mean, the only other options are Maddox and Dane Kelly. Yeah, that's two options. <laughs> okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm keeping Segura. I, I, I would rather pay $100,000 in allocation money to get a, 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 an international spot. I think that I think that kind of gets to the the answer for the international roster spot question for me is they're going to trade some Tam or some Cam or something or draft picks or whatever. Um, they'll find a way to get that done because there will be someone who isn't necessarily using all of theirs and then wants to move them on. Um, I think they probably need to get on that. Um, I think that's something that should be done now rather than. Um, when when you've signed Rooney slash other international players, um, because at that point, then then it becomes a an acute need, and then teams have you in a position where they can ask for more. Um, you know, they can inflate the value even further. I think if they go out and, and pursue that in the weeks to come, um, and by that I mean like tomorrow and uh, the day after that and, and such. Um, they're they're going to get a, a cheaper price tag on it than otherwise. Um, and I know the the window for player movement is closed at the moment until July tenth. Right. Um, but I think non-player assets can still be. Oh yeah, yeah. You can make and sold. all kinds of on paper MLS trades right now. You can do that whenever you want. Um, right. And, and they can also just you know you can set a deal in place that maybe it won't be announced until. Um, the, the, the window opens back up, but you know, you take care of the work now and you don't have to worry about whether or not uh, that price tag on the international spot is going to go up by a hundred thousand because there happens to be a market for them. Um, so yeah, I think they need to get out in front of it, but I think that they can solve that problem just by making an asset trade rather than moving a player. Um, as far as those other, those other guys, um, you know, that, that sort of log jam that's there. Um, I'm going to kind of take a different angle because the question mentions the season at, uh, at what happens at the end of the season. Um, what if the situation isn't getting rid of one of these guys because they're not starting, but instead becomes Chris Durkin's price tag gets high enough that the offers come in are no longer laughed off because they're low ball offers. What if we start getting real, uh, legitimate transfer fee offers that are actually worth hearing out. Um, well, sure. Because that might be what happens if he keeps playing and he's playing well and doing playing. He's the, if the things he's good at are the things that are usually hard to get out of a young player, um, which means that his ceiling is very high because you don't have to coach him up in these other departments. You don't have to try and make him become a long distance distributor. He already has that. Um, you don't have to worry about that being a thing. So um, especially for the kind of teams that can put up, uh, you know, one, $2 million, that's the kind of player they're looking for. Um, and so it could be that 
Durkin ends up being the guy that goes and it's not for bad reasons. It's because they developed a player that, you know, his ambitions become above MLS, quite frankly. And um, it's like an Andy Nahar situation where it's, it's best for the player. And, you know, the team has never up to this point has never been really um, the kind of team that says no, when those offers come in, they're the kind of team that says, yes, this is right for the player. It's a fair price. Let's do it. Um, and we might be on course for that. Yeah, that could even that could happen this winter. It could happen this summer if he keeps playing and uh, improving because he's improved game to game generally. Um, and and that's it, it hasn't always been linear, but sometimes it's been, you know, jumps like like Jason said in the about the team in the last segment. And if he can keep this kind of progress going, he's going to be very in demand. Um, another option for, oh, I, I want to clarify real quick. I'm not saying they should absolutely go sell him and just, you know, um, run him out the door, but we could be at a point where the offers come in and it, they're, you know, offers that are too good to be turned down. Right. Yeah. It, it's the good way. Push it's him out the, the door, but it's, sale, some... it's the positive sale. Right. Don't push him out the door, but if someone is knocking down the door to get him, that's that's a situation that's potentially good for everyone, especially if it happens early enough in whichever transfer window that DC United can then reinvest that money. Uh, Back to the international roster slots uh, issue. Another option is what DC United did early in the year, which is to assign a player for a season long loan to Richmond. Um, they did it with Bruno Miranda earlier. They could do it again with Miranda. They could do it with someone a little more senior potentially. Um, but there, if there's a player who's taking up an international slot and not playing a ton of minutes, they, they would be an option for assignment essentially to free up an international slot. If one is not available to be purchased at a reasonable price, on a short timeline if, if it comes to that. So th- there are a few ways they could, they could get there um, without moving a player along permanently. Um, but who knows which one of those will actually come to resolve. Uh, another question from Murr at Murr DCU with, uh, with rumors of United looking at adding international talent to bolster the roster this summer. Oh, wait, that's I already asked that question. Why is it coming up again? There we go. There's the one. Sorry about that. With Nick DeLeon injured, will DC United look outside the roster for help or internally? And if so, who? Well, they can't look outside the roster right now. Right. right? Short term, short term, they have to look internally because the the trade window and transfer window, which are now coterminous, uh, they're closed until July 10th. So United can only look internally right now for help and that's not good at the fullback position but yeah it's I, I mean it's Mora or Fisher at this point or my weird offset uh three three center back thing yeah I mean it pretty quickly gets into weird territory where you're looking at um you know hey n- now that Paul Ariola played 15 minutes as fullback should we play uh, him there permanently for the uh, time being because uh, we don't have anyone else um which you know, it's not a great thing because you just got something very good out of him in central midfield. Um, I, I'm just going to go on the podcast and the internet and forever right now and say I never want to see Paul Ariola starting as a fullback. 
I would rather see any yeah. other option. Him, yeah. as a, him as a late game fullback uh, alternate, fine, but I never, ever want to see him start there. Yeah, and, you know, the rest of the roster, there just aren't very many players. I, I know it's popular to try and figure out if a player is talented, how can you convert him to some other position? But I look at this roster, I don't see a lot of guys that have that um, the fullback skill set in their wheelhouse. Um, I don't think Segura has it. Um, and I think he's, he's the closest in my mind to being able to maybe make that switch. And I don't think he's very close to being able to make that switch. Um, and on top of that, he's also injured for a while. So even if, even if we were interested in turning him into a fullback, you wouldn't even be able to, um, for, for, you know, what, seven more weeks, I think is the prognosis. So, um, yeah, there, there aren't a lot of, um, a lot of players that have fullback, uh, skill sets on the team and, the players that do have our, like Nick DeLeon was converted and he was maybe the only guy on the team that had that, uh, you know, somewhere in him. Um, and it's not, it's not easy to convert uh, players. It's not a thing that happens all the time successfully. It, there's a reason why we see so many, um, you know, guys that are rookies and they say, well, he's a forward in college, but we're going to try him at right back. Most of those don't pan out for a reason because, uh, it's it's a difficult position and it has a different uh, set of skills and it, you can't just say that you know Ian Harks is good let's try him at right back um, it it's probably not going to work because he doesn't really have uh, the skill set for it um, it's not quite as easy as just like well let's just put the eleven most talented players on the field and the positions will sort themselves out um, that's not going to work with this group next question comes from John Lee at JT Lee 03 on Twitter asks us at filibuster DCU. Is there any chance DC United makes the open cup a priority this year? Seems like a good opportunity coming off a bye for round four, then round five falls in the the middle of the world cup break. Um, DC United is on a bye week this weekend. They play at the Maryland soccer plex Tuesday night, which is unfortunate for me. It means I can't go. Um, against North Carolina FC, formerly known as the Railhawks. Uh, and then they, they go to Seattle for the, the weekend. And then the, the fifth round, as, as John said, is in the middle of the World Cup break, so there's not going to be a lot of fixture congestion. It might actually be a good opportunity to run out the starters in the fifth round, no matter who the opponent is. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what tack Ben Olsen is, is going to take for this. Um, might be a hybrid to get some players some minutes who haven't been getting it, uh, but also get some starters in there to try to keep building that chemistry and that, that understanding. I'm, I, I really have no idea. It's a, it, it's a completely open question in my mind. My gut is that Ben Olsen will do what he always does and play the least amount of starters that he possibly can find a way to do. I think we'll see Jared Jeffrey play, uh, not play, start in both of these games, probably, uh, just to be indicative of Ben Olsen's mindset going into these games. Uh, it seems by necessity there will be some uh, regular starters on the bench and some probably starting, but I think he's going to do what he typically does and try to reduce that to the minimum minimum amount possible. Well, I, I mean, first of all, I, I think I kind of disagree with this idea that um, playing your reserves in the first round is is not taking the open cup seriously. We I always hear that phrase. We we all hear that phrase. Yeah. 
um, during the early parts of the Open Cup. And um, usually, and I'm not saying that that John is implying this, but usually um, it kind of goes with it's a results-based position um, because just about every MLS team plays their reserves in that first game um, almost across the board because in a lot of cases, it's their first chance to get those guys any kind of minutes. Um, and usually it, the reaction to it ends up being, did you win or lose? And so if it's, you know, if you go back to 2016 and DC plays Al Haji Kamara and Jared Jeffrey and all those guys and, and Miguel Aguilar, um, against the Fort Lauderdale strikers, if they win the penalty kick shootout, this, and then they go on and play more starters next round, like, well, it was a decent commitment and it didn't work out. Um, but the fact that they lost the penalty kick shootout, it, it felt to me at least that's why it's like, oh, they didn't take it seriously. It's because they lost. It's not because of the lineup that was selected. Um, and I, I think Ben's right that they are going to play a predominantly reserve field lineup. Um, Jeffrey is, I don't know if he's going to start, but he's definitely going to get minutes. Um, that much I think we can be sure of. Um, guys like Dane Kelly, uh, Patrick Mullins is, is almost certainly going to start that one. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's, it, the fact that there's a world cup window there, um, it, it might influence things a little bit. You, you might see Olsen take, uh, that as the, the luxury to, to have a few starters in the spine of his team, um, that aren't normally there. Um, I also think the fullback situation might be at such a point that we might see Fisher and Mora start because there aren't other options available. Um, so there might be a few starters scattered in the lineup. Um, it might be a little more, um, a little more of a full team than we saw against Christos last year. Um, I will say though, now that I've defended DC to a certain extent and said that it's the judgment on their lineups in the Open Cup is sort of result based, I will say that last year's Open Cup loss at New England was definitely a we're prioritizing the league over the cup uh, lineup because that was the last appearance of the Sean Franklin uh, at center back uh, situation. And it was a direct, it had a direct impact on losing that game. Um, I don't want to see that if they, if they get past North Carolina with whatever lineup they put out there um, in the round that follows that, I, I think it should be a one round only where you're like, okay, we have to play the reserves here for various reasons for, um, player fitness for morale for some of those guys um you give them a taste basically um but after that especially now that the tournament has become one in which you know there are 32 teams left and only 12 of them are outside of mls most likely dc is going to be advancing to play uh an mls team specifically the union who have beaten them over and over again um in the last couple of years so i think that's a game that they should actually put a stronger lineup on the field i don't know if they can um, get away with the 100% lineup, but it should definitely be closer to a full strength team than sending out the reserves again and, and hoping for the best because the union, they have uh, Bethlehem steel. They can call on if they, if both teams go reserve heavy, the union are going to be pretty heavily favored, I would think. Um, so from a results perspective and from a um, take it seriously perspective, I do think um after this round, after this first round, they do, it becomes more reasonable, I think, to put pressure on the team for what lineup choice they're making. Um, but for the first game against North Carolina, I, I'm not going to be too bent out of shape if they don't play their best team. And I also think they should still win the game. Um, yep. They've still got their, their reserves should still be able to, 
I mean, Dan Kelly can't get minutes for this DC United team and last year absolutely destroyed the USL as a goal scorer. So um, there is a good reason uh, that these other teams are in a lower level and United's reserve should still be the favorite in that game. I I mentioned the World Cup break earlier, and I think that's another reason why DC United should in the fifth round, the next one, um, assuming they get past North Carolina, they, they should run out close to a full strength 11. And it's it's because that they're going to be in the middle of a month, you know, or, or a couple weeks anyway, without without real games. And so you may as well get your starters some some minutes together. I agree that they should. I just don't think that Ben Olsen will. That's that's a fair assessment. Uh, next question comes from a regular in the Twitter box, Jimmy R at DCU underscore Gooner um, asks us if DC United were to somehow cross over with the other DCU, that is the DC universe. Uh, a wit well, he asks some a couple of questions. Uh, which hero from the DC universe would you like to see in the team, and at what position? And which United player do you think you would like to see as a DC comic book character? Um, I mean, you gotta bring the flash in. He's so fast. He, you know, just runs in behind whatever, uh, sets the ball on fire with his speed. I don't know. I, I'm not actually a big comic book guy. Most of what I know about the DC universe at this point comes from Lego Batman, which if you haven't seen it is phenomenal. You should see it. Uh, you probably shouldn't see it 800 times like I have because my four year old (laughs) is obsessed with Lego Batman. Um, Will Arnett does a great job as Batman. He has a great Batman voice. Batman. Uh, Michael Sarah as Robin is also an inspired casting decision. Um, Zach Galifianakis is the, is the Joker. It's it's very fun, very sweet movie. Uh, also, at one point, Superman literally does the dance from Crank That Soldier Boy. Uh, he does the oh. Superman, which is just such a wonderful reference that four-year-olds will not get and it makes it even better as a parent watching the movie uh jimmy thank you for the opportunity to talk about lego batman um i'm sorry i don't have a better answer for your question but i'm gonna thank you anyway um uh next question exiled mls on twitter asks us uh it's likely that DC United is going to bring in a, a third designated player. Goff is reporting it will be a young DP from South America. What position on the roster do you want to see that? Where do you think Casper, Dave Casper, the DC United's general manager, what position is he looking to fill with that? Well, those are two different things. I think they. Well, he, he specifically asked, what do you think Casper is looking to fill with that position? But I think it's also open to interpretation. What do you want to see that? Cause we know Wayne Rooney well, I mean, is the, the main, slated for one of the spots. The main needs are all on the back line. So hopefully Casper is looking along the back line. Uh, we, well, do you want to see how... designated player money spent at a fullback position? I think that's yes. a good question. Yes, I do because it's that, it's that bad right now. And so I, I think they need to spend some sort of money back there. And if it takes designated player money to get, get the young Danny Alves to come to DC United, then sure. I'm fine with it. Well, if we're talking about a young Danny Alves, then, you know, sign me up. I would throw out the name Milton Valenzuela, um, who is 19 and yet has been really good for Columbus in a, on a team that really uh, requires high level fullback play. 
Um, they've thrown him into the deep end. They said, you know, we're, we're not just, you know, he's a young designated player. They brought him from, I want to say Newell's old boys in Argentina. Um, and yeah, it, it's made a huge difference. Um, they spotted a big talent who is ready to play now. Uh, they paid, I, I think, Lucho Acosta kind of money uh, to bring him in. Um, and it's it's working. And now they have a 19-year-old starting left back. Um, who and now they have that YTF money if they want to make young designated player acquisitions. Right. You know, Now there's so many acronyms that uh, you'd be punished for, for not just remembering them all. Like that's half the battle is just knowing all of the <laughs> things you can do. Um, yeah, with YTF, they could even go get a guy without implicating right. the designated player because the transfer fee wouldn't be imputed into the salary uh, right. the way but, it normally is. So they, they actually could bring in a couple of guys who would normally be DPs, but don't necessarily take that up, take up that kind of roster spot. So it's sorry, that's that's kind of deflecting from the question. Jason, continue. <laughs> um I, I mean, I think the main thing, and I think most fans, uh, I think we would all agree, and I think most fans would agree, is that it's not necessarily that important that it's a young DP. If they have to spend that YTF money, then great, uh, whatever. Do whatever it takes to put a good team on the field. That's what we're actually interested in. Um, as much as we get caught up in our, our MLS nerd bubble with all of, all of our acronyms that we have to keep track of, um, ultimately, it's just about winning soccer games. Um, Please get and- a good fullback. Right. Whatever method they use to get, uh, and I'm going to keep saying left back instead of fullback, because I think that should be the highest, that's the highest order. Of pri- I mean, if they, if they find a great right back, a Valenzuela level right back um, that they can acquire, then so be it. And, you know, move De Leon over to the left and, and that'll be fine. Um, but, you know, first order of business should be, let's see if we can't find a left back of that quality. Um, I think that's the way to go because I think this team has been at its best when they're full, when the fullbacks are getting forward and influencing the game and also can still do the individual defending. Um, I think more and more we see uh, teams all over MLS, but also DC in particular, you can almost gauge how the game is going just by knowing how well the fullbacks are playing or not, or not playing. Um, and so I think that's gotta be, you know, once they, I, I'm sure all of their resources right now in terms of mental bandwidth are getting the Rooney deal over the line. Um, and then after that, I think they should be, and they probably already did some of the business on this as far as scouting and analyzing, but trying to finalize something on a fullback, because I'm sure they know that this is the position of need that, you know, you look at the roster, you see, okay, central midfield, you know, there's some very good players there. Uh, Darren Maddox is doing well, so Rooney comes in. We don't necessarily need another forward. The winger positions are are both fairly deep at this point. Um, they're getting production out of those guys. Center, I think the center backs. I'll keep saying this. I think they've been fine. I don't think they've been great, but they've been fine. Um, David Osted is doing well enough. I think he's should be set as the goalkeeper right now. Um, maybe they're going to move Steve Clark because that's an expensive backup, but that's a different problem. Um, the thing we keep coming back to week to week right now is the fullbacks keep giving away goals and the fullbacks that are not named Nick DeLeon keep giving away goals. Um, and that can't happen. So it's gotta be back there. One more question before we get out of here. Uh, Josh Stevens, 
uh, very conveniently named at Josh Stevens on Twitter, asks us, would a team of 11 goats be the overwhelming or the prohibitive favorite in Russia this summer? And I'm, I'm not sure what he's talking about. I, I guess there might be some kind of soccer event in Russia during the month of June. And um, the World Cup. I, I, it's the it, World Cup is happening. The United States isn't playing in it. Doesn't look like anything to me. <laughs> it would be the overwhelming favorite. Not prohibitive. Overwhelming. I mean, they're still they're still goats. Merely the overwhelming favorite. Yeah. I'm comfortable yeah. with that. Uh, I'm going to go with Ben on overwhelming, but not prohibitive, because prohibitive means like we're literally all betting on the team of eleven goats. I mean, um, I feel like Manuel Neuer could have some goat. Uh, some goat heritage in him and be able to outsmart the goats based on his goat knowledge. Goat heritage? So you're saying he might be part goat? <laughs> that could be the overwhelming factor. Is his okay. Manuel Neuer's goat heritage? I mean, look, I don't know enough about the man to say that he is not at least somewhat a goat. Uh, perhaps his relatives are related to Marilyn's uh, goat man uh, who stalks the, stalks the roads and attacks your car. Uh, because he's enraged at being half man, half goat. I don't know what his problem is. He should be, you know, that's that's cool. Is he cool related to Skunk Ape? I don't know about that one. Skunk Ape is is Florida's Sasquatch, essentially. Oh, okay. Kind of the same uh, thing. What about no, Mothman from West Virginia? I, I'm pretty sure he's not really a Mothman. The, the whole goat man thing is that it was a scientist out in the woods trying to do some sort of experiment in the fifties with radiation. And somehow he ends up fusing with, or um, combining with a goat in a, a fashion, not dissimilar to the movie, the fly um, and uh, becomes a, not quite a human, uh, like a, like a mostly human with goat qualities, but enraged is the main thing. And he uh, comes out of the woods and punches your car and, and chases you. Um, and then so- Sometimes has an axe, which I think is curious because sometimes yes and sometimes no. Um, so he was, except for the axe, he was basically the Shivas USA mascot. I yeah, more or less. I mean, maybe that's what he did with his, uh, you know, after a while. To Los like, Angeles, I gotta, he went to Hollywood. This punch and cars thing is not lucrative. I need to find something to do with my life where I can put some food on the table um, he, and get a roof over my head. Wrong team. Well, I mean, for a few years though, uh, for a furious goat man creature, um, pretty, a pretty good living. Let's be honest. Um, hopefully he socked that away, uh, and, and invested some of it and isn't necessarily, uh, back to punching cars and hoping that somehow turns into money. Cause I mean, look, I've seen, I've seen some people punch some cars and I've never seen anyone profit from it. Uh, I, I know I'm on record as being the, the least pro goat of, the the members of this podcast but if there were a netflix documentary about the maryland goat man moving to hollywood becoming the shivas usa mascot <laughs> and then kind of a behind the music where are they now uh feature I, documentary because that, that, that didn't i would watch it i would watch it i would documentary <laughs> or just fake. I, I, I don't know, Ben. It sounds pretty legit to me. Okay. That's it for this week. Thank you all for listening. And thank you to everyone who wrote in to the Twitter box when we put out the call earlier today. Um, if you want to be you know, the first to know about those, make sure you follow us at filibuster DCU. 
on Twitter. Uh, find us otherwise at blackandredunited.com. If you want to support us financially, do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. Uh, send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Internet Archive, the, the podcatcher of your choice. And please leave us ratings and reviews. I know we're a niche podcast, but those probably do something. So why not? I've heard bigger podcasts than us say that they matter. So that's something they might that, know more than we do. We believe them. Yes. They've probably researched it and stuff. Probably. Uh, mostly though, please just tell a friend about the show. That's the, the nicest thing you can do for us. Uh, for Jason and Ben, I'm Adam and we'll talk at you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Goatman is not a myth. It's the reality of things. Goodbye.